0: Amen. What a timely song. This is a day that we live in that we need to speak truth and uh, light into the darkness. There's a lot of darkness in our world right now, and uh, what a wonderful opportunity we have to speak truth. Good morning. It is good to uh, be here with you this morning. Our pastor and Lisa are out of town, and I'm sure it's entirely coincidental that it is Super Bowl Sunday that they're out of town. (laughs) Just one big coincidence, I'm sure. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, just kidding. They, uh, they are able to get away for a little bit, and uh, thankful that they are. Uh, how many of you uh, are excited about the game this afternoon? How many of you could really care less about the game this afternoon? Good work. There are some Christians in the room, and it's good to see that. For the rest of you, maybe by the end of this service, you will have a change of heart and mind. I uh, assumed that this was the Super Bowl crowd, the early crowd. Um, The second crowd, they don't care. They're not. They have nowhere to go. Maybe it's just they don't have any friends. I don't know what it is, but uh, uh, (laughs) all right, we'll have a good time together today. And uh, excited to be able to share with you. This is uh, really the last message in the series that we've been in for the last several weeks. This Better Together series. And as we have worked through this, and John started, and Pastor continued, and then today. Uh, Really, the principle that we've been trying to communicate is this one, that we are not intended to go through life alone. We're not intended to go through life alone. We were not created to go through life alone, and although many of us attempt to do that, that's not what we were created to do. We need to have godly relationships that build us up. Why? Because we truly are better together. Over the last several weeks, in order to kind of emphasize this point, we've been going through an enrollment period for our small groups, and, and uh, that kicked off this last week. So many uh, wonderful classes all week long, just about. It seems like there was something going on. And uh, just thankful for the opportunity to do that. Why do we do that as a church? Well, because we're better together, because we were not intended to move through life alone, because we need one another. And I know this from experience, I'm sure that you do as well, that when we are alone either physically or in our own minds, we end up doing things spiritually and emotionally. We end up in places that we never thought possible. You see, when we attempt to go through life alone, we are doing something that's against our nature. We're really violating how we were created. We're not living to our full potential. I was thinking about this idea of uh, of doing things and moving through life and doing the best we can, but not all that we were created to do. And I was thinking about, uh, uh, anecdotally, my life is a series of illustrations for sermons. In fact, when I uh, last night I was talking to my kids about the sermon. I'd like to talk through some of that. And and Molly, my 10-year-old, said, are you going to talk about us tomorrow? (laughs) No, I would never do that. That would be terrible. I would never do that. (laughs) <laughs> a few weeks ago, we, uh, we had the opportunity as a family to get a new car. It's a new used car, but uh, it's a great new used car. And, uh, man, it was uh, in the right place. We were able to go down to San Diego and pick it up. We'd been looking for a long time for this particular type of car. And uh, it was the right car. It was the right price. It was the right size. It had been well taken care of. And we went down and looked at it. Everything about it was great. Took it for a test drive. Tested everything out to make sure it was all working. It was a warm day down in San Diego. And I cranked the air conditioner up to make sure that worked. And it worked in the front. It worked in the middle. And it worked in the back. Because if you have kids, you stick in the back. You need to have air conditioner that works back there or kids that don't complain. (laughs) And you're not going to find kids that don't complain. So you need air conditioner. So I worked all that out and cranked that thing up. And everything was working. And the sound was working. Everything was great. And uh, it was awesome. Uh, A couple of days later, we had one of those cold spells here in California. You know when it gets really cold? It was like 55 degrees or something. And it was freezing. And uh, we were coming to church, and this is our new car, and it's awesome, and everything works. And I cranked up the heat, and uh, I was driving, my wife was in the passenger seat, and the heat was working great. I mean, it was sweat pouring off of my face, and she kept saying, turn on the heat, turn on the heat. Well, what I discovered was that our car was not operating to its full potential or its created purpose, because when you turn on the heat, it works on half the car, but not on the other half of the car. That's not how it's supposed to work. And when it's your wife that's getting the cold, when it's 55 degrees outside, that's a bad ride to church. (laughs) It's amazing how many of us go through life that way. We look good, we operate pretty well most of the time, and if it's warm outside and things are good, then things are fine. But have you ever discovered that it's often when you need something to work the most that you find out it doesn't work at all? Any of you ever tried to flush a toilet when you really needed it to flush? (laughs) Didn't happen. (laughs) Just put the seat down, close the door, walk out. (laughs) I'm not saying that's right, I'm just saying it happens. (laughs) We need people in our lives. We were created to have relationships. You don't realize how much you need them until you don't have them. But you absolutely must have them. I've heard it put this way, and perhaps you have as well. You need to find godly relationships uh, as much as you would need a breath of air if you were drowning in the ocean. You fight for those relationships just as you would fight for that breath of air. Because those relationships can be just as important to our survival and our growth. Here's the thing with all of this, though, and uh, I'll let you know up front, today's message is the end of a series I'm going to close it out. And so this is more of a, probably a thought. (laughs) But I want to give you a thought that I hope can frame some of this for you. Because here's the thing with all of this, particularly when we're talking about relationships and we're talking about friendships. We know that we need them. We were created to have them. Most of us want them unless you wander around talking to yourself. That guy probably doesn't want a relationship. But most of us do. The problem is, if our perspective on relationships is wrong, if our perspective on friendships is not what the Bible really describes it for us to be, then we can pursue these relationships as though we're trying to get that gasp of air as we're falling under the water. We're we're running after those relationships. We're pursuing those friendships. But because our perspective is wrong, instead of building godly relationships, what we get is a restraining order. You ever known one of those relationships? (laughs) You can become that person. You see, our perspective can become this, that relationships and friendships, because we were created to have them, because we were designed to operate with them, because we're incomplete without them, then they must be all about us. You see, when our perspective on relationships is wrong, we can go through life trying to find friends and trying to enter into relationships and become angry and frustrated and overwhelmed. We can get to the point where we say, Well, apparently no one likes me, or social media has ruined everything, or those darn millennials, (laughs) they don't talk to anybody anymore. Because our perspective is wrong. Here's the truth. We need people to keep us accountable. We need people to keep us in line. We need that iron that sharpens iron. We need those relationships and we need those friends. But in a counterintuitive type of way, if that's what you need, then you need to stop trying to find it. Now I'll say something up front that I can't fully develop this morning because of time. But here, here it is. If you need a counselor If you need someone to help you work through a time in your life, something that you're dealing with, then you need to find a counselor. Often what we do is we say we're trying to find a friend when what we're really trying to do is find a counselor. If you need someone to help you work through a time in your life then find someone who's qualified to do that, and friends can certainly be counselors, but if you need someone in your life and you want to have the type of relationship that will make you all that God wants you to be, here's what you need to do. You need to be the one instead of living your life to find the one. It's different, isn't it? (laughs) It seems backwards. It, It doesn't make sense. Developing healthy, wholesome, deep relationships is not about finding someone who can meet your needs. It is about understanding the goal of meaningful relationships. I wrote this down because it's just too important to mess up. The goal of godly, meaningful relationships is to invest in the lives of others so that they can be complete. I'll say it again. It's it's important. We can't miss this. The goal of godly, meaningful relationships is to invest in the lives of others so that they can be complete, so that they can be all that God created them to be. And in the process of doing that, we will find the help that we need when we are down, the necessary encouragement when we are discouraged, and people to hold us accountable when we're getting off track. We need to be the one. You see, I believe this all comes down to a shift in how we look at relationships in our lives. As we talk about that, it's, it's neat to say it. <laughs> the question is, how do we do it? I want to give you some thoughts this morning, and again, uh, this is not very deep, but I believe can be helpful. I want to look at a story of friendship in the Bible, and to me, this is one of the great friendship stories in all of the Bible. Now, it may not be considered a great friendship story, but I don't know that we can find a better one. It's a story of the friendship between two men in the New Testament, Paul and Barnabas. We've spent a lot of time in the book of Acts over the last several weeks, and we've looked at both Paul and Barnabas and their relationships with each other and their relationships with others. But when I think about the right kind of relationship, the godly kind of relationship, a relationship that seeks to build up others and not simply take from them, I think about these two men, Paul and Barnabas. What a great story. Most of you are familiar with the story of the Apostle Paul, a man who was named Saul before he came into a relationship with God through Christ. But for those of you that aren't familiar, we could go back to the book of Acts, chapter 7, and we see at the end of Acts, chapter 7, the first Christian martyr, Stephen, he's being stoned to death, and there was a man standing there by the name of Saul. Saul was a religious leader, he was a Pharisee, he was one who did everything that he could. He lived his life to persecute those that they called of the way, those who believe Jesus is the Messiah. He lived his life to find them. He lived his life to persecute them. He would tear families apart and do all that he could to to squash what he considered a cult. We go into chapter 9 and we find that this same Paul, traveling to a place where he could persecute believers, persecute Christians, has an unbelievable encounter with God. Jesus Christ appears to him and has a conversation with him. Not one of those weird in the middle of the night conversations, but a real conversation. This wasn't a dream. This wasn't made up. This wasn't something uh, that he encountered because of something he ate. This was real. Jesus came to him and he, he asked him a question. He said, he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he made a statement. He said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. Uh, apparently, the uh, Apostle Paul, Saul at the time, was undergoing tremendous uh, conviction in his own heart and what a great testimony. As he ran around trying to persecute Christians and tear apart families that believed Jesus is the Messiah, instead of destroying them, what was being destroyed was his conviction that they were wrong. He saw how they lived, and he saw how they died, and the Holy Spirit of God broke his heart. And Jesus looked at him and said, you know you're under conviction. I know you're under conviction. Why do you keep pushing back on what you know is true? Paul had a conversion that day, and it was a miraculous conversion. It was an amazing conversion. You could go through the rest of the story in Acts chapter 9. It was pretty incredible. But Paul, now having seen the truth and understood the truth, having given his life to God through Christ accepting that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's sinful, that Jesus died on the cross for his sins, that because he's God, even though he's placed in the tomb, he rose again three days later. The apostle Paul now, he he put his arms around that truth and he was excited about that truth and he did what he should have done. He ran to find people that could encourage him in his newfound faith. Now, here's a great truth for the person who has recently put their faith in Christ, the very best thing you can do is find a church home, a group of believers who can come around you and love you and encourage you and disciple you and equip you to grow in this relationship. That's what Paul did. Only here's the thing. (laughs) It wasn't that long ago. Like a couple of verses ago that he was killing these same people. He was persecuting these same people. He was running after these same people. He was not an unknown when he came to them. He came to them and said, hey, guys, things have changed. I realized yesterday I said some things. (laughs) Like conversations I have with my wife, right? I realized yesterday I said some things I shouldn't have said, but let's just forget about that and move on. They weren't able to forget about it and move on. He went to them for encouragement, and he went to them to tell them what God had done in their lives, and I think they were just afraid. Look in your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 9. This is so rich. There's so much here. I'll read a few verses to you, though, and... If this is not a picture of what friendship should look like in the Bible, there's probably not one in the Bible. Acts chapter 9 and verse 26. And when Saul, again, this is Paul before he became the Apostle Paul, or before he was named Paul, and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. And they had good reason for it. Now we can be critical of these guys, but they had very good reason to believe he was just trying to get in to, to cause more problems. Verse 27. But Barnabas took him. Barnabas again, we could spend a lot of time talking about Barnabas. Barnabas was a leader in the early church. He was a Christian and he had a reputation for being kind and compassionate and caring and gracious. The Bible tells us that he sold much of what he had to make sure that those disciples, those followers of Christ who were away from home, living in Jerusalem, would be taken care of. He was a man that loved people and went out of his way to demonstrate that. The disciples weren't too sure about Saul, so Barnabas, this leader of the church, went to find out what was going on. Look at this, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus, and he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him, which, when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea, and sent him forth to Tarshish. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea, and Galilee, and Samaria, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, were multiplied. Saul accepts Christ as his Savior. He begins living a life devoted to Almighty God. He does some things. He has some experiences. And now he's trying to join himself to the church, if you will. And the church is afraid of him. But a man steps into his life, introduces him to the church, vouches for him, and opens up a door of opportunity for him to continue his ministry. We're going to walk through this a little bit, but we see the first thing this morning. If you want to have godly relationships, if you want to be the kind of friend and have the kind of friendships that the Bible uh, really outlines for us, if you want to experience this better together kind of life... The first thing you need to do is engage. Engage. Now, here's what a lot of us do. We're struggling in our lives. We're having a hard time. Something overwhelming has come in, and we sit somewhere, maybe holding our phone in our hands, waiting for someone to call. Now, that someone doesn't know we're having a problem, but it is their responsibility to call us, (laughs) Or we're walking a difficult path in our lives and things are becoming harder and harder and harder and we're waiting for someone to run in and take care of us. And our whole framework for friendship is who's out there that will take care of me when I need help. Friends should take care of you when you need help. Friends should run in when you're having a hard time. Friends should call when you're overwhelmed. But here's the thing. Instead of waiting for people to engage you, you need to go out and engage them. Barnabas didn't wait for Paul to come find him. I don't know that Paul knew who Barnabas was, maybe by reputation. Paul went and found Barnabas, and Paul talked. Or Paul, Barnabas went to Paul, and Paul uh, and Barnabas talked, and Barnabas understood who he was, and Barnabas then took him to a place where God could use him. Barnabas went and found him. He engaged Paul. You need to go and find those. You need to be the one. You need to engage others who need you to be what they need in their lives. We could go over to Acts chapter eleven and verse twenty-five. A lot happens between chapter 9 of Acts, and the end of chapter 11 of Acts. Again, I'd encourage you to read all of it, and I don't even fully understand all of it, but there was a period of time where Paul was gone. He was off the scene. The church continued to grow, and things continued to happen. The church now gathers resources for believers who didn't have all that they needed. They put it in the hands of Barnabas and said, go deliver this to the Christians that need it. Verse 25, of Acts chapter 11. Then departed Barnabas to Tarshish for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. In Acts chapter 9, Barnabas went and found Paul. He engaged him when he needed him. In Acts chapter 11, Barnabas went and found Paul. He engaged him when he needed him. Two times, Barnabas went and found Paul expecting Get this one, nothing in return. The relationship between Barnabas and Paul was not a relationship predicated on what can Paul do for me? Now we look backwards and we understand who Paul was and all that he accomplished and everything that happened in his life and, and what he means to the church even today. We understand all of that. But at this moment in time, this period of history... Barnabas had no idea who Paul would become, only what he was, a guy who once persecuted the church, who once chased down believers, and now had a testimony of salvation. He wasn't waiting for a friend, he was engaging one who needed a friend. Proverbs 18 and verse 24 says it this way, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. But then it goes on and says, And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. That's interesting. We jump back one chapter, Proverbs 17, verse 17. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Again, when I think of friend, I think of someone who runs in when I need help, who encourages me when I'm down, who, who keeps me on track when I'm getting off a little bit. But the Bible here in Proverbs describes a friend as someone that's doing. Jesus is always our example. In every area of our life, Jesus should always be our example. I was talking to a group of young people this week, and... um, the question came up, is an interesting question, but the question came up, I'm trying to make some decisions, I'm a Christian, I believe in God, I believe the Bible, I read the Bible, uh, but there's some other things happening, and, and is it okay to, to kind of do this, even though it's not exactly what the Bible says? <laughs> and, and we've all asked questions like that. Maybe we haven't said it out loud, but we've asked questions like that. The Word of God, the Bible, is always our standard. Now, we can decide to not do what it says, but it is the standard. And for those of us that seek to live the lives that God has called us to live, Jesus Christ is our example. The Bible tells us this in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, and the things are, I'm sorry, that's uh 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, for even hereunto were ye called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, that is the steps of Jesus Christ. He is our example. He is our standard. In all things, including this thing of friendship, John chapter 15 and verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. This is Jesus Christ speaking. Now check this out. Jesus is speaking to his friends. Who are his friends? The disciples. How did the disciples become disciples? Anyone at all. Jesus called them. (laughs) He engaged them. He said, you're coming with me. And then he looked at him and said, look, I'm your friend, and you're my friend. And there were a lot of things that had to happen before they fully understood that. But he said, as your friend, I want you to understand something. A friend is someone that is willing to lay down his life for his friends, and then Jesus would do it. A friend is not someone who says, what can you do for me? A friend is someone who looks at the other person in that relationship and says, what can I do for you? Not how can you fulfill my needs, but how can I meet yours? It's all about what others need instead of looking for those that are exactly what we need. Barnabas was a man who understood this principle of engaging, going out and finding friends, being a friend. There's a second part to this, though, and man, this is so important. If you want to be a godly friend, if you want to have godly relationships, if you want to experience this better together type of life, you not only need to engage, but there needs to be a goal. And the goal with engagement is to equip. That's our second point this morning. To equip. I picture Paul and Barnabas traveling, and they walked a lot. They spent so much time talking. They would come to the end of a day, I'm sure, and find a place to rest that night and get up and do it again the next day. Early on in the discussions, we find words like this, Barnabas and Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Barnabas and Paul. Eventually, it would become Paul and Barnabas, and that's how we typically refer to them. But as their relationship began and as it grew, it was Barnabas and Paul. And I can imagine Paul who had an inquisitive mind and who had seen so much and understood things so deeply, the questions he would have asked of Barnabas. And the equipping work that Barnabas did in the life of Paul. You see, the goal of a friendship should be this. We engage a person who needs a friend. And we then equip them to do all that God has called them to do. The Apostle Paul, this was so meaningful to him, he said to a young pastor in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. He said, Hey, Timothy, as you're entered into or involved in these relationships, here's the goal. The goal is to equip them, to teach them, to train them so that they can do the work that God has called them to do. Acts chapter 20, to me, is one of the great chapters in all of the book of Acts. There's so much truth there and so much uh, doctrine there. But Paul says this in verse 26 Wherefore, he's speaking to a group of pastors. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. Verse 27, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And then that great verse 28, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Here's what Paul said. He's looking at a group of pastors, a group of church leaders. He's getting ready to lead and he says, here's the thing guys, here's what you need to understand and you can you can think back and you can remember this, I have not held back anything from you. I've taught you and I've trained you and I've equipped you. Now, as I leave, here's what you need to do. Go and equip and train and teach the church it was just part of who paul was this equipping ministry where did that come from the holy spirit in him certainly an understanding that he wouldn't be around forever and that someone needed to carry the torch forward But I can't help but believe that the Apostle Paul, as he's doing this equipping work, as he's saying to young Timothy, train others, as as he's saying to, to church leaders, train others, as he writes more books in the New Testament than any other author, as he establishes the doctrinal principles upon which the church was established. As he he writes that great apologetic book for the gospel and helps us to understand all that the gospel is. He left behind more than any other man. How did he do that? Because he was involved in equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Why? Because that's the goal in relationships. Relationships are really about stewardship. Stewardship. They're about stewardship. You can call. You can write. You invest. You seek out. Why? Because it's about making others better. Now, there's a fear that comes with this, and and the fear is this. If I do that, I'll always be giving and never receive. And I'll tell you this, and I can certainly acknowledge that not all relationships are created equal. Again, there are counseling relationships. There are those relationships that wouldn't fall necessarily into the category of friendship relationships. But I believe that if we'll simply do what God has called us to do, if we'll invest in others as God has led us to do, that he'll give us what we need when we need it. My responsibility is not to control the people around me. My responsibility is to invest in others the way that God has equipped me to invest in others. There's something in me that says, well, these people in my life, the the, the children that I have, the wife that I'm married to, the people that I'm involved with, the friends that I have, they need more than I can give them. My responsibility is not to give them what I don't have, but it is entirely to steward over what I do have and what I can pour into them. My responsibility is to give everything that God has given me so that they can be everything God needs them to be and trust that He'll take care of me. You see, friendship is not about dominance. It's about support. It's not about who's in charge, who's bigger, who's stronger, who's faster, who's more well-recognized. It's not about dominance. It's about support. And when we understand this and live this way, it allows us to do this final thing this morning. We engage for the purpose of equipping And what we see is that we're able to participate in enlarging the ministry of others. Friendship is about engage, equip, and enlarge. Engage, equip, and enlarge. Acts chapter 13 and verse 2. church is having a meeting. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Because Barnabas engaged Paul, because he equipped Paul, and because Paul got this understanding of what it means to equip others, the ministry of both men was enlarged. They were both doing more together than they ever would have done alone. The church looks out for some men and says, hey, we've got to send some guys out of here. The world is expanding and and we need to get the Christian message out. Who can we send? Barnabas and Saul. Send these two men together and let their ministry be enlarged. Second Timothy four and verse seven, the apostle Paul is now coming to the end of his life. And here's how he says it. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. Hear those words. Hear the words of Paul when he says, I've fought a good fight. I've finished the course. And then think back. To a moment in time where the Christians would have nothing to do with him. I believe that 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7 exists because of Acts chapter 9 and verse 26 and 27, where Barnabas went and found a guy who no one else would listen to. He engaged him when no one else would with no thought of getting anything in return. He went and found him a second time and then he equipped him for the work of the ministry and he fades off the scene and Paul continues. He comes to the point in his life where he says, I've done everything God has set before me. His ministry was enlarged. God used Barnabas as the human to equip and train Paul or perhaps the most impactful ministry in Christian history. He wrote more books of the Bible than anyone else. He established church structure and doctrine. He traveled the world as a missionary, establishing churches and training leaders. He gave us, as we mentioned, the great apologetic for the Bible, for the Gospel. I often say that because of the work of the Apostle Paul, we can trace our Christian heritage back to him those first century believers. What if Barnabas had not gone to find him? I also believe that God is bigger than any one person. (laughs) But I also know that Barnabas is the one that God used and therefore is the one that we can really trace our heritage back to. You see, Barnabas used his gifts We can't do everything, but we can do everything we are gifted by God to do. I'm not called to be someone else, but I am called and required to be what God made me to be. Paul expanded Barnabas' ministry, and they made each other better. But biblical relationships do. Listen to me. Biblical relationships expand the ministry of those who are involved in the relationship. Now, What does that mean, practically? It means the friends in your life should be doing more for God because you're in their life than they would otherwise. If you're not encouraging those that you have a relationship with to do more for God than they would do otherwise, then don't call yourself a godly friend. Now I'm going to move into meddling a little bit. If your spouse is not doing more for God than they would do if they weren't married to you, you're doing it wrong. I know how to quiet a room. (laughs) I'm like everyone else. I love to blame my wife for the stuff I do wrong. Not her fault most of the time, but she's really close and very convenient. (laughs) But here's the thing. My wife should be doing more for the cause of Christ, more for the glory of God, using her gifts more fully than she ever would, apart from a relationship with me. Because a godly relationship is an equipping relationship and it's an enlarging relationship. Check this out, my kids. I love my children. But it is not my goal as a parent to keep my children in my house for the rest of their lives. I love them. I like having them around. I enjoy spending time with them. But my kids should do more in their lives for the glory of God, using their gifts for the benefit of others and His glory, than they would have if I wasn't their dad. I want to be the friend of my children, but more than them liking me, (laughs) I want them to go further than me. I want them to do stuff that I could never possibly do. Why? Because a relationship that is a godly one based on the Word of God is an engaging relationship. It's an equipping relationship, and it is an enlarging relationship. It's me saying I'm going to find some people that I know God can use. And I'm going to use whatever I have, whatever that is, to equip them to the extent that I can so they can fully be all that God created them to be. Their ministry will be greater than it would be otherwise because I was in their lives. I've been thinking on this, this legacy thing and, and what I'm going to leave behind and, you know, pastors talked about uh, journaling and, and putting down kind of your life mission statement and purpose statement and those things. They're so important. If you haven't done that, you need to do that. And I, I've thought a lot about that. And for me, here, here's what I've concluded. What do I want to leave behind? What do I want my legacy to be? What do I want to, you know, my, my mission statement? <laughs> I want people and organizations to be better than they would be had I not been a part of them. That's it. I need people to lift me up. I need people to encourage me. I need people to keep me on track. But I I need to have people that I'm investing in and I'm equipping for the work and I'm I'm getting behind them so their their ministry can be enlarged. What about you? No friendship in the world is without conflict. And this is, again, an interesting thing about Barnabas and Paul. They had a time of conflict in the relationship. They saw ministry a little bit different and they parted ways, but we see throughout the New Testament that their lives would intersect again and again. They were still friends, their ministries were still going forward for God. They had encouraged one another and were involved in things they would not have been otherwise. Guys, we really are better together. And when we understand that being together is our responsibility, that we're not waiting for someone to find us, but we are using our gifts and our our opportunities to find others, these better together relationships add the fulfillment and purpose that God intended. Who in your life needs you to engage them? Who do you need to invest in and equip so that they can be all that God created them to be? How will you be used to enlarge the ministry of those in your life as you leverage your gifts and opportunities for their good and God's glory? We really can be better together. But don't find the one. Here's what you need to do this morning. (laughs) Decide that you're going to leave this place and be the one. Father, we thank you for this time. I thank you for this very simple truth this morning. Nothing deep or complex, certainly nothing folks in this room haven't thought about before.